My name is Sophie. I suffered from fibromyalgia and extreme fatigue syndrome for about 24 years. Today I'm fully healthy. And now I would like to pass on everything I've learned about health and healing and more to support those who are still on a journey. And this is why I create this documentary series and podcast, The Puzzle of Healing. Hi everyone, I was just editing the new episode when I realized that I need to re-record the introduction because this episode means so much to me and I only really realized it after watching it back. So I'm going to talk to a medical professional called Nezem Al-Ali and about her specialities and we talk a lot about the relationship between a medical professional and a patient and how difficult it also can be for a medical professional if things don't fit any picture. The reason why I'm now re-recording this introduction is because I realized that this conversation about the relationship, about the difficulties between doctor and patients where there is no clear diagnosis or there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of misdiagnosis can be really toxic. I realized that I had created quite a bit of a resentful attitude towards medical professionals and even today when I do have anything that's not quite right and I would maybe need a doctor's opinion, I'm super hesitant about it and I'm kind of already expecting it to go wrong. And this is why I want to have a new introduction because I just something read something interesting recently about psychology that said self-fulfilling prophecies come very often from the outside. So if I as a patient, because I experienced various misdiagnoses and various horrible scenarios with doctors and medical professionals, come into the next room with the next medical professional expecting that that person will not listen again, will not help me again, then it's more likely to happen because probably I'm already sending out those vibes. And I just realized how important this aspect was for me in my healing process to get rid of doctor's opinions. But there are various situations in which this is not possible or it's not advised because it's really useful to get a medical professional's opinion sometimes. So this episode is very special for me because it was in a way a puzzle piece for me in reconciling with the Western medicine. And Nazem sounds like she's a wonderful doctor. I haven't experienced her from a patient's point of view, but I really enjoyed this interview with her and I really enjoyed her point of view. So I really hope that you get a lot out of this just by rethinking that relationship or being a bit more aware of the other side, which hopefully helps you to stay gentle and kind to yourself and towards the situations you're in. So enjoy this interview. Hi, thank you so much for being here. Hello, hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me to talk about this uh, very interesting topic. Do you want to just say a little bit about yourself, your background, what have you studied, what have you specialised in? So I graduated from medical school in 2011 uh, and I have been working as a doctor since. So my training has primarily been physician training um, after completing that, I went into medical education and for the last three years I've been working in haematology. That's a long journey. So how, how much of that journey is for all medical professionals the same before you specialize or how far <laughs> is that the norm? Um, it varies, it varies. For me personally, I have meandered quite a bit and uh, I still have quite a long way to go. Um, some, for some people it's a bit shorter. 
um, especially if they're going into uh, so surgical specialties are notoriously long, so they could be five to seven years in terms of postgraduate training. Um, things like general practice take three years to, to specialise in. Um, but most medical programmes, specialty programmes, take about five years. That's mm. after graduation and after the initial couple of years of training. <laughs> That's a journey. So when you uh, say you're not done, like where, where are you going next? <laughs> Do you know? Um, so so I, I'm going into a training program uh, with the aim of being consultant by the end of it. So that's going oh. to take another five years. Five years? Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> that is a lot. Yeah. And, and what, yes. what type of consultation do you want to do then? So, so by the end of five years, I hope to be a, a histopathology consultant. So that's um, someone who specializes in diagnosing uh, diseases from tissue samples mainly. That's one aspect of the job. Um, they also do post-mortems. What interested you or fascinated you about haematology and now your new field? Like, What attracted mm. you to it? With haematology, I think it was getting to know more about how, how the blood system works. It's a, a system that supports the whole body. And I think even us as medical professionals, we don't feel so confident in, in dealing with blood disorders and bone marrow disorders if we're not within the field of haematology. I mean, if I be quite candid with you, I, I actually came across um, a blog of a friend who was in university with me, who also happens to be a medical doctor, who um, was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm. So that's a cancer of the lymph gland system. And they detailed in quite a lot of detail. They went into quite a lot of detail in how they were diagnosed with the condition, how they were treated, um, the emotional aspects of being treated, um, especially coming from the point of view of someone who's been trained within the medical system and the failings and the successes that they perceived. It was quite interesting. Uh, and I didn't have any desire to work within haematology at that point but after that um, I don't know how you might want to if it's a synchronicity or I don't know law of attraction or whatever you know from that point of view whatever it was I was offered a job to work within haematology oh, that's and that's how I got into it <laughs> so I think it started with the with the idea of I want to learn more about this specialty because that's when I was reading that person's blog um, that's what I was sensing that I needed to learn more about this mm. and then by some chance encounter um, I came to hear about this job and then went through the process of applying for it and, and uh, eventually started working within that role and what were those when you said she, they talked about both, about mm. the, the winnings or the shortcomings and the successes yeah. from the medical world? Mm. What, what were those? Mm -hmm. if you... um, I mean, I can share the blog with you later if you like. So oh, that you would can, be beautiful, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that stuck with me was uh, they described uh, an episode where they knew they were very unwell. They were in hospital and people whom have... Um, 
cancer and are being treated for cancer are susceptible to something called neutropenic sepsis. So that means that a particular white cell called a neutrophil is very low in number, so the body can't defend itself against uh, bacterial infections. So they're very, very vulnerable to infection. Uh, so she describes this um, story of being in hospital and not feeling heard, like mm -hmm. saying to people that they felt unwell and they didn't, something need to, needed to be escalated, but the request was falling on deaf ears. And I thought it was quite powerful that someone who is a medical professional themselves was within the system and wasn't being addressed in the way that they felt was appropriate. And does she give a reason or do you have an idea of how that can happen? Like, is that down to stress of the doctors or to the system or where, where does that problem come from? It's a systems problem. I think the system's overwhelmed. Um, there's so many... Uh, I think it's a system which we multitask a lot and we forget that we're dealing with an individual. I think I've already discussed this with you previously, that we follow an algorithm, we follow a protocol. We're taught how to deal with situations in a very formulaic manner. So how to break bad news, for instance. <clears throat> Say this to the patient, do that for the patient. Listen to their concerns. It's very formulaic to the point that you don't develop any emotions in the situation. Mm -hmm. um, Which is probably yeah. a protection for the doctor, as you said in a previous conversation, because that would be tricky if the if the doctors would actually be involved emotionally into every yeah. case. I guess that's not possible. Yeah, you can't because if you think you're seeing, I don't know, let's say you see on a good day maybe twenty uh, people in a clinic, uh, and they're all quite difficult cases, and you become emotionally invested in all of them. What's going to be left by the end? You'll just be a heap by the end. Yeah. So you do have to build up this kind of emotional resilience where you don't get involved. Or you, as we've discussed previously, your heart is closed. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people complain that doctors don't show any emotion, don't show any passion, don't seem to care. I think it's because they have this very strong protective mechanism where it's like I'm just dealing with the person in front of me and I probably am seeing them as... Um, their anatomy or physiology mm. i mean you do get glimpses of the person don't get me wrong you do there is some humanity but on the whole you are dealing with the situation in a very formulaic manner yeah and it's it's because of the system that we work in uh, that's part of it and the other part is so we don't get emotionally involved so what do you think would need to change to not have to give up the protection of the medical professional, but also for the patients to feel they're heard, what would be, what would be ideal? I think for people to feel empowered, that they control their circumstances, that it's not in the hands of the medical profession, that you are not, you are in the hands of the medical profession, but you're also, you also should know that you have the power as well. I think the phrase mind over matter comes to mind um, and we've discussed this before as well um, and I, I think that goes for any situation in life it's about the mindset that you go into something with um, 
So would it probably, I mean, you said previously that you all work in a team. So mm -hmm. would there, would it almost be necessary to have a kind of more coach type person in that team to help people who struggle maybe with that mindset or who struggle with so severe illnesses that they feel like it's out of their hand to help them to, to gain a bit mm. of that power? Would that be probably something? I mean, and to you, what extent you, do you have that yeah. already? You hear anecdotal stories of things, sorry, sorry, people taking thing matters in their own hands and changing things. Mm. Um, you sometimes see it, and I think it's to do with the environment you're in and what you're told you're capable of. Mm. Know, I'm thinking of examples, but obviously I can't go into details of things because it's, it's, yeah. it's difficult. But I think our role is to empower people to so they know what, what's, what they have access to mm -hmm. and what they can do for themselves. You're not at the mercy of the system. I don't know, I think it's, it's a very big topic. And uh, I kind of lost the thread at the, the start of the question. Um, about the idea of like what would need to help. And you said earlier uh, in another conversation that you can refer patients to a mental health side of things for support mm. if it's necessary, yeah. but the system is underfunded and yeah. it doesn't work as much as you think it would be necessary because, yeah, your, your profession is kind of like one snippet. Of, of a whole of the whole healing process I guess so yeah, um, yeah. in what cases do you refer yeah. to to mental health um, practitioners as well as um, doing your areas and yeah so within uh, cancer services I think there there's a dedicated health psychiatrist psychologist sorry mm -hmm. um, we refer if we feel like they're the individual's condition or their treatment is having a an adverse effect on them to the point that it's um, blocking them, their healing, if you like. Uh, because as we've just alluded to, the individual has as much power as, let's say, a tablet. Mm. It, it's about the beliefs that you're going in with. I think that's what I was trying to say earlier. It's about the mindset and the belief that has just as much effect as, let's say, chemotherapy. Mm. I mean, there's such a thing as the placebo effect which you probably are aware of. Yeah, do you still, I'm, I'm aware of it and I find it very fascinating, yeah. but can you explain a little bit about it for everyone who might not know that? Okay, so the placebo effect is when you, I mean, in practical terms, it's used a lot in studies. So you're comparing a drug with a placebo. This is if there's no comparable um, drug currently in the market um, so let's say I don't know you're trying to test a drug for a, a sore throat um, and you need two groups so you need one group that takes the actual effective treatment and another group which takes a sugar pill so it's mm -hmm. not active and you compare the results what you find sometimes is that the group taking the placebo, so the non-active uh, pill, report getting better, even though they're not taking the active substance. Mm. 
um, and the way it's um, explained is that the suggestion that you're taking something that might work is enough to help someone feel better mm. um, and there's lots of studies looking into that into how much does the health professional have to believe in the drug for the patient to get better how much does the patient have to believe in the drug for them to get better all sorts of things that you wouldn't think have an effect on whether someone gets better mm. so the doctor's body language even if they're not they might not say anything about the drug whether it's effective or not but still there's an effect on whether someone gets better or not wow that is and so do, you, how, do you learn that in your training are you because you have communication um, training uh yeah to an extent but there's a book called <laughs> bad science mm -hmm. by ben goldacre and another one called bad medicine mm -hmm. i think i think those are the titles but he goes through how part of his book goes through um it's mainly about studies and bad use of studies to endorse certain um activities things such as he's quite critical about things called something called the brain gym which you might have heard of which was rolled out in schools a few years ago i can't remember the exact details now but there is a section in there on the placebo effect um there's lots of people who've looked into this and um yeah so the mind does have a huge impact on yeah. on results and um so now when a patient comes to you what and let's say they have the right mindset they're hopefully yeah. looking at whatever causes this illness how does your how do you work so someone recommends or like refers a patient to you then what's the process how are you working with a patient and with your team around that patient so the individual might have been referred by their general practitioner so from primary care or they might have come into hospital at some point and it was felt that it was necessary for them to be seen by a specialist mm -hmm. let's say in hematology just because i'm more familiar with that so we see that individual in clinic for the first time so we talk through so usually the the referring doctor uh, sends a letter with the individual symptoms any blood test results any other results that might be useful past history what they're currently taken in the form of medication and what they think is happening and we repeat the process again so we go through questions asking them what have they noticed um, any past history, past family history, medication history um, and then we examine the individual as well um, for me personally, oh yes we look at blood tests as well after that I like to put everything together and say to the individual concerned this is what your GP referred you with, this is what we think is happening these are the next steps moving forward um, which might include further imaging or a biopsy. And from that, we can get more information. And is there um, a specific protocol? Because like so many, or I, I at least experienced myself that 
I also felt unheard by GPs and doctors and I know that in my past, especially as a teenager, I wasn't maybe the most pleasant patient to be around. Um, mm -hmm. Is there anything you, you do when you realize a patient isn't really going along or is kind of not really trusting you or what are you doing with those cases? Is there anything you, you try to help them gain trust again or anything that or you just do your bit and then it's, mm. it's kind of not possible within the time you have probably to do anything more yeah it would be nice to explore i think we do explore the reasons why someone might be skeptical or most people are wanting treatment but do you mean in the context of not finding a reason for their illness um, either that or like if, if anything's like outside the norm or you realize um, you you do the tests and you don't find much and you try to tell the patient it's not physical with, or not within mm. your field and the answer and probably also if patient I can ima imagine that some patients get very emotional or feel mm. like at the end of like what else am I doing I clearly have symptoms mm. but I can't nothing's mm. found physically what what are you mm. doing with basically with anything out of the norm is there is there like a protocol or is it down to the individual mm. doctor of what to do next? How do you handle it? <laughs> I mean, for common things, yes, there are algorithms and protocols to and guidelines to follow. Once we go outside of that territory, we get a bit uncomfortable and we're kind of verging on new territory, um, especially if we pick up something that's very rare. Um, or if it looks like something we've managed before, then we can treat it as we know how to treat a different condition. Um, for instance, something like a, a T-cell lymphoma, which is a, a cancer of specific cells within the lymph glands. Sometimes can be very, it's quite rare and very difficult to diagnose. But if you've got the basic underlying features you could, and, and you have someone that's very unwell. So let's say they're in intensive care because they're so unwell mm. and you don't know what else to do. You could just say, we don't have anything else to lose. Let's just go for the treatment that we would give if we knew it was, was this particular disorder. Does that make sense? Yeah. But if it's a situation where we're completely not sure You've got someone who's managing with their daily life um, otherwise, so they have a good quality of life otherwise, they're not in hospital in intensive care, but we can't really put our finger on what's happening. Yeah, it's really difficult. I think earlier I suggested that we um, would speak to experts, so regional experts, national experts, even global experts, and see what their opinions might be in, in difficult circumstances where we're kind of in an, a territory that we're not familiar with. And what are you doing um, with extremely emotional patients who's had a long journey mm. and which is really difficult? Do you, mm. do you have anything you do there? Is that, would that be a case where you say like maybe first speak to medical mental health professional to get the support? Mm. or Yeah. What would you suggest? Yeah. Yeah. So we have mental health specialists. We have clinical nurse specialists who deal with the holistic side of, of you know, the health and well-being of an individual. Mm -hmm. So what does that involve? What, uh, what would those um, 
the specialist oh, I'm, I'm never getting that name right what's that nurse's like profession clinical called again? nurse specialist clinical, clinical nurse, nurse specialist <laughs> so yeah so a clinical nurse specialist is a nurse who has completed all their training and they've gone through um all the levels they need to work through and they're specializing in a particular field so that's their main work is within that field and they can subspecialize further um so in hematology for instance there are nurse specialists who deal with lymphoma or myeloma or other forms of of hematological illness um what's their role their role is to support the individual through the treatment process um they can see patients and um conduct consultations uh, like a doctor would um, and they also provide holistic support as, as I've already mentioned so talking about lifestyle changes uh, that an individual might encounter with a certain illness or a certain treatment regimen and how to manage those changes facilitating them getting back into work those kind of aspects um, in the case of haematology, they also facilitate um, bone marrow transplant discussions. So if someone needs bone marrow transplant, they'll have a, an in-depth discussion with a nurse specialist who goes through the process with them, what needs to happen, what kind of tests need to be done. They also um, talk through chemotherapy regimens and obtain consent. So that's something that we haven't really touched on, is that you need consent before you start chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I um, guess it makes sense, because I guess there's a lot yeah. to consider, side effects and, and whatnot, yeah. I, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's a big bulk of, of the nurse practitioner role. Mm -hmm. So clinic, there's clinical nurse specialists and nurse practitioners as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so you and you're always aware of like where they're at with a patient and what's their process yeah. is, so I assume. Yeah, yeah. So we work within the same team. Mm. We work very closely with them. Thank you. Yeah. And we're all I think we're all working at different angles. And and the patient we we can't forget that the individual themselves is part of that management. Mm -hmm. So like we said earlier, the beliefs they're coming in with they amount of motivation, the mindset, all has a big impact on the results. Is that something you or the clinical nurse, why can I not remember the word, this wonderful specialized nurse? <laughs> you, can, you, can say, you can say CNS. CNS, that's easier. Um, yeah. Is that something you would tell the patients? Is that something you would kind of yeah. almost call them out on? Um, so if you realize they lack motivation, would you try to say like, find something that motivates you again or would you say that I don't know I think as doctors we don't feel that as doctors we don't do that so often mm -hmm. it's kind of seen as not scientifically based or there's no it's not evidence-based okay possibly um I mean you're giving motivation in the form of oh your, your blood results look good you mm -hmm. must be doing something good keep it up that, that <laughs> okay. in itself is motivation yeah um but uh, as in like that coach persona it doesn't exist i don't think in doctors we're not encouraged to be like that you you, you do see glimpses of it so 
for instance, I don't know, someone saying to someone, you know, we're giving you this bad news, but you've only got 24 hours to deal with it. And then, <laughs> you know, to, to, to have the feelings that you have with that news and then to, to, you know, build yourself up for what's coming. Mm. Must be really challenging to be in that position to giving bad news, <laughs> like as you said earlier, to really not let that hit you. How, how hard was it for you before you managed to kind of not let it get to you? Like, I assume that's a process as well to learn that, right? To protect yourself and care for yourself as well. Because you're doing it so often, it just becomes normal. Mm. I can't remember. I, th I don't know. I can't remember a time where I felt, oh, I can't, I can't tell this person this thing. I think because you realize that this other person knows it's your job as well. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? That's you're, a good point, actually, there yeah. To, <laughs> you're there, that's what you're trained for, that's what you're there for. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if someone sees that that I'm faltering, if I'm giving bad news, they won't have much confidence in me or the system. If I start, I remember actually uh, in medical school, they had, sometimes they would bring... Uh, patients to talk through how they felt when they were given particular diagnoses mm -hmm. um, and I remember one whom I'm just going to say they were given a particular diagnosis so I don't want to go into details just in case yeah. um, and and they were saying that the doctor had said oh I can't uh, this is very difficult for me to tell you this but this is you have this condition x condition And I, I don't think that individual took it very well, that the doctor didn't, I don't know, was managing it like a situation they'd never dealt with before. Yeah. I think people want to see that you know what you're doing and you've dealt with this a thousand times before mm. and you know, you know what direction things could go in or could not go in. I don't know how you feel about that explanation. Yeah, I think that makes sense. a lot of sense. It's definitely the side of it I haven't thought about so far. But yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, people want to know that you're experienced and there's, you're there to support. Um, so you can't be seen to be, oh, oh I, I don't know how to tell you this, but you've got this. I mean, mm. I don't think it goes down very well. Yeah. And I think we we just deal through it through through having to do it every day. And I don't know. You just develop some kind of mechanism where it doesn't. It, I think it is affecting you on some level, but maybe it's on an on an unconscious or subconscious level that you're not quite acknowledging at the forefront. I think um, also um, within this, the hematology specialty. We are dealing with the same people very regularly. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's something we haven't addressed, which is, okay, you've got that one person that you might see on, in, a, in one instance and have to give them bad news. But there, is, there are also people whom you are seeing on a 
regular basis who are continually deteriorating. Mm-hmm. And there isn't very much we can do for them. That's something else that we're having to deal with on some level. Oh dear, yeah. Yeah, some people, yeah, get better and do very well. Others have conditions where we can't do very much at the moment. So, yeah. Tricky. <laughs> so I guess in those cases you yeah. can just hope that they they get at least like a lot of courage from somewhere else so that at least with whatever time is left yeah. that they can, can live and yeah. make the best out of it. So yeah. I know you're teaching as well and because you said you want to give something to a new generation of doctors. Mm. So what's mm-hmm. the... What are those elements you want to give to the new generation of doctors to enhance the medical world? I think I'll just comment that all doctors are teachers by definition of the title doctor. It means teacher in Latin. Um, So we all have a responsibility to instill good behaviours in the next generation of doctors. (laughs) Um, I think earlier I was discussing with you Uh, how the medical system is quite archaic in terms of the medical education system and a lot of teaching previously was carried out through humiliation so you'd walk into an operating theatre and the surgeon would say to you tell me how many bones there are in the body and you'd be expected to answer in front of the whole team and all your peers and you might not know the answer Um, so that's teaching through humiliation which is not I think in some cases is not effective. For some people it might be effective because that sense of shame and embarrassment is quite strong in them, so they want to eradicate that. Mm. Um, I think now the system is changing. I think hopefully it's more compassionate and more understanding. People come into medicine from all sorts of backgrounds now. Uh, Before it used to be that... um, You had to go to a certain school, have certain grades, be a particular type of individual to go into medical school. But I think we're slowly realising that actually, do those qualities make you a good doctor? Probably not. So we are looking to broaden the entry criteria into medicine. Maybe you don't have to have... Yeah, maybe... I mean, recently I think the thinking is that you don't have to have so many... A, level, a grade A levels to get mm-hmm. into medicine. Um, could you be allowed entry into medical school based on, I don't know, let's say your communication skills? Because that has more of an impact than how clever you are. Mm-hmm. Um, That's interesting. We do more talking than actual... Um, there's a lot of problem solving. Um, but as I said earlier, it's very formulaic and we're following algorithms. And there's a lot of memory as well. You have to retain a lot of information. So it puts into question not just the medical education system, but the education system on the whole and its values, what qualities it's valuing. But in terms of me, what I'd like (laughs) the next generation to to imbibe is is compassion uh, and understanding. and hopefully we can get rid of this archaic system that teaches through bullying. I think earlier I'd also mentioned that it was um, it was like a military system, mm. which is being, which has been in use since the French Revolution. 
so that's where it's come from and uh, hopefully hopefully we can wipe that out time to change yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know maybe maybe we do need some of it to re- to be retained mm. um but yeah not all i don't of know it. how effective <laughs> not all of it no then before we wrap up is there anything i haven't asked you or you feel like you want to want to share that hasn't been said mm. any any advice maybe for patients or Anything to help patients understand the doctor a little better or anything like that? Uh, well, I think I'd go back to the point you mentioned earlier that I think there isn't enough acknowledgement of how much we as individuals um, can be empowered within the healthcare setting um, and how much we bring into the situation as well. Mm. And that goes for anything in your life. It's always how you are viewing it, that can alter the, the outcome. Uh, I don't know if, if that's <laughs> what I'm looking for. I think, I think um, that's really beautiful, yeah. yeah. Thanks. Is there anything else that you wanted to go through? I think we talked about pretty much anything. Um, I think what you just said is really important because I think that sense of power is probably something that gets easily lost when you're in an illness situation where you don't know what your body's doing. So I think yeah. that's a really good, good way to end yeah. this really beautiful interview. 